The CBF Podcast Conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for Conversations That Matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendor for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Dr. Kara Powell. She's executive director of Fuller Youth Institute, professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, and Fuller's Chief of Leadership Formation. She's also the author and co-author of several books, including Growing Young and Sticky Faith. She has penned endless amounts of curriculum, and yet she took the time to have a conversation with us today. So, Kara, thank you for making making time for this. Oh, my pleasure. I'm a big fan of how God is working in and through CBF churches. So looking forward to a good conversation, Andy. So um, you wouldn't say this about yourself, but you're a household name when it comes to to understanding and empowering and equipping teens and young adults and their families. Um, but, but who's the person behind all that wisdom? We, we rarely get to get a peek into your life. So what would you want us to know about you? Well, gosh, the, when you said that, my first thought was my husband is the person behind that wisdom because um, he and I are such a team. So while he is not a, a youth leader, he certainly is a partner for me in so many ways. But um, 
But who am I? Uh, you know, I'm a mom. I'll start there. We have three kids who are 20, 17, and 14. So we have a college sophomore back at school in the midst of the pandemic and, and doing just fine. And we have two high school daughters in ninth and 12th grade uh, doing school online at the moment. Um, and I am also someone who certainly loves Jesus. Um, you know, the most important thing about me really is my faith and that I am a Jesus follower. That's a decision I made in third grade. But um, I, I, the way I define it is Jesus was my savior, but not my Lord. And ideally, those should be the same decision. But for me, they were somewhat successive decisions. So it was really in 11th grade when I lost student body president election at my high school um, that my youth pastor and his wife really invested in me and said, hey, we think God's calling you to youth ministry. Um, and they were right through a series of additional conversations and kind of some supernatural moments, including the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to me, not audibly, but uh, definitely the Holy Spirit speaking to my spirit. Um, at one point when I was driving into a mall parking lot, God, God really made it clear that he was calling me to youth ministry. So I've been working with students since, uh, really since 1987, when I graduated from high school and just love, 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 love students and the church and seeing the church thrive because of young people and see young people thrive because of the church. Would you be willing to uh, disclose the name of the person who won student body president that year? Oh, yes, it was Mark Santa Maria. So he, he, uh, he nudged. Actually, I came in third. Here's a real confession. I didn't even come in second. I came in third. So that was a, a good humbling experience for me as a high school junior. And, and really, I mean, if I had won that election, I'm, I'm not sure where I would be right now. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure I would be in youth ministry or it would have been a different path here for sure. So, so I'm so grateful that I lost that election, uh, even though it, it was a tough loss, Andy. So I, and you're bringing up wounds here, man. But, Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. I just imagine like your office, you have like a, a, a list of people on a hit list and his name is like right at the top. Um, well, that may or may not exist, but uh, <laughs> yeah, God, God's, let's just say God's sovereignty was certainly working when I lost that election. It was one of the best things that happened to me in high school. So, you, you know, you could always have in your back pocket. I lost that, but I went to Stanford. So there's, there's that. So. Well, that is, that is true. I uh, had a wonderful <laughs> time at Stanford and God used that, that season to shape me too. And being involved with InterVarsity and Young Life at Stanford was very formative for me. So, so, you know, uh, you know, kind of, I asked a little bit of this and you alluded to it. Um, you know, the sense of call is uh, so much of your work is around, uh, you know, discernment. So, yeah. and how do you, how do you process that? How do you, uh, how do you, form and understand that you're going to put your focus around youth, young adults, and their families? How did I do it? Or how Yeah, yeah. Tell, yeah. Us, tell us that experience and kind yeah. of how that came into fruition of what you're doing now. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, so we keep talking about this, but I lost student body president. Um, and <laughs> Sorry to keep bringing it up. <laughs> like the theme of the podcast. I don't think I've talked about this, uh, this event so much in a long time, but it's good, Andy. It's good to unearth it. And I'm also um, not promising we're not going to find that guy and tag him to this post on Twitter. There we go. There we go. Out, so. There we go. Um, and and then I started volunteering at my church. You know, again, Mike and Christy DeVito, my youth pastor at the time, and his wife. They really believed in me. And 
I started volunteering uh, in afternoons at the church. The very first thing I did as a high school senior was I, I cleaned up our youth ministry kitchen. It was a mess. I still remember how it smelled. And, you know, I was sorting through old camp gear and cleaning the stove and the fridge as a 17-year-old. And then from there, I, I graduated to making... Um, making our weekly bulletin, which at the time involved something that some of your listeners won't even know, but some will, and that's something called clip art books, where I would make copies of black and white images in books, and I would enlarge them or shrink them on the copy machine and take things down to a sheet of paper and use whiteout to get the tape marks gone. And that was our weekly bulletin. So that was my second big job as a senior in high school. Um, but throughout that time of volunteering, it I was getting to know more of our pastors, um, but really a, a big obstacle for me in, in having a sense of call was that um, I hadn't seen any women doing full-time youth ministry, so here I was feeling drawn to it, um, but I hadn't seen somebody, you know, who looked like me, and then God, and again, God's so good, God sovereignly brought me uh, to meet a, a woman who was a youth pastor as I was washing my hands in a bathroom. She came up to me and asked me a question. Um, and that created a wonderful relationship where she was really a great female mentor for me um, for the next handful of years, especially. And then, and then as a sophomore in college, I'm driving into uh, a shopping mall parking lot, having just come from the Young Life office where I was also volunteering. And that's when, like I said, I really felt like God um, spoke to me, not audibly. So, it, you know, my, my sense of calling has really been a combination of... Um, affirmation from others, certainly, uh, especially my youth, starting with my youth pastor and his wife, but then other leaders who've known me, um, those divine moments, whether it's uh, when you meet somebody in a, at a bathroom sink, or uh, as those divine moments with the Holy Spirit, as I was driving into a parking lot, and then just a, a feeling like this is where my gifts line up. Um, my spiritual gifts tend to be in leadership, teaching, and administration. And then I think the last thing I would say is um, somebody, it's been said that uh, you know you're called to ministry when you can't see yourself doing anything else. And I don't know that that's literally true. Um, so there, that might not be true for all listeners, but that certainly is true for me, that this working with young people is just what I love. I, I drive by a high school and I'm always craning my neck to see the students. Um, we have teenagers over at our house as much as possible. And during COVID, that's meant, you know, smaller groups of teenagers, my kids' friends in our backyard, get socially distanced, but, you know, still we're having teenagers over. So, um, so yeah, I just, I really believe in young people and think they, they have the potential to change our world and they are changing our world. So. Mm. I certainly believe it. You're the executive uh, director of Fuller Youth Institute. For, for somebody listening to this that doesn't know uh, what that is, what would you want to tell them? Yeah, well, our mission is to equip diverse leaders and parents so faithful young people can change our world. Um, and we do that by turning research into resources that answer leaders and parents' toughest questions about faith. So, you know, really the way I, I picture this is we at the Fuller Youth Institute, our great team, we stand with one foot in the world of uh, academic research that we're either studying or conducting and one foot in the world of real life young people and, and parents and families, step parents, and as well as churches and ministries. And so, you know, we stand with a foot in both worlds and really want to be a bridge that the most pressing questions of 
families and churches are what drive research and then research is always translated into a practical tool. So, um, so yeah, we basically, we turn research into resources to help leaders and parents. You know, uh, not only have you been dealing with this global pandemic, but you've also had wildfires. We were talking a little bit this yes. before, for recording, yeah. you know, at the same time, this pandemic has, has changed so much. Um, you know, for example, you can't just go up and open mouth kiss a random senior adult anymore. Like it's just not. <laughs> like you, know, you used to, right? It's yeah. Like, like we, we would normally. Yes. Yes. Like we normally would. Um, yeah. you, is, that know, a CBF, is that a CPF tradition or something that I, I don't uh, know about? No, there's a lot of other traditions I would throw okay. into the bus that might, that might do that, but uh, okay. we won't go there. But, um, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I know it might be too soon, but, but what are you know, in, in your work and 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 Fuller's work, uh, what are some of the primary ways this pandemic has has affected youth and young adults uh, directly? Kind of in this this short term, what have you all yeah. seen so far? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I like to be an optimist, and so I'll start by saying I think this pandemic um, has brought new opportunities for young people to serve. Uh, you know, for how many years, Andy, have we been saying as youth leaders that we wish kids were less busy? We wish kids were less busy. Well, they finally are. Um, now, unfortunately, they're often, you know, quarantined or socially distancing, et cetera. But we have this asset of young people's time that we can now pair with young people's creativity and do what we say in the book, Growing Young, hand them the keys of leadership, what we call keychain leadership. So, you know, just giving an example super close to home, I'm so proud of our high school ministry because um, our two high school leaders reached out to my 17-year-old who is interested in exploring marketing as a career and said, hey, how about you help with marketing our summer camp, which was, you know, a camp at home. Um, and so she helped come up with the logo and she was posting on Instagram and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and now that school has started, they've said to her, hey, can you volunteer two hours a week? Um, in our high school ministry doing marketing. And, and so, you know, they have the benefit of a fairly savvy 17-year-old um, helping advise them and, and helping shape their social media strategy. And I love that my daughter feels more connected to the church these days, not less connected. So, you know, I invite every leader to think about what, you know, what kids, what actual kids do I know? What are some other gifts, talents, passion? And how, if at all, can that be used for God's work, whether that's in our church or a local nonprofit or whatever it might be. So that, that's the really positive side. The negative side that we're seeing, Andy, is um, an even greater toll on young people's mental health. That before this pandemic, um, you know, mental health was already something I was being asked about, gosh, probably every day, okay, researching uh, questions from parents, step-parents, leaders, pastors, uh, and that was before the pandemic. And now it's, it's all the more so. There's some estimates that mental health challenges are up, um, you know, about 40%. At least that's the uh, increase that mental health hotlines are seeing in, in queries that come their way. Um, and no wonder when you think about what young people are going through now, the literal isolation, the anxiety about what's happening now and in the future, feeling distant from friends, feeling different distance from adult mentors who they might've been seeing and now they're not, you know, some of the safest adults that kids were seeing in church, um, 
in school, in sports teams, et cetera, they're, they're now not seeing as much. So, so it's, it's, a, it's an increase of stress and anxiety for young people that deeply concerns me. Again, you know, not going to hold you to this nine to, you know, 12 months from now, but what, what do you think this means long-term for the church's approach to ministering to this demographic and the changes they're trying to adapt to with COVID? Gosh, well, that's the big question, right? I mean, I, it, it's interesting how churches are seeing, some churches are seeing great fruit from, you know, moving more and more online and more virtual and other youth ministries are really struggling. And I, I haven't quite figured out why. Why is it that some uh, churches are really thriving and ministries are reaching new kids and seeing new fruit and other ministries are are still faithful, but man, they feel like they feel like they're just limping along. Um, but but I, I think the fact that we don't quite know for sure why it is that some churches are thriving and others are struggling means that every church needs to be really prayerful and really contextually sensitive. Um, you know, what is God doing? What what is where do we see Jesus at work in our young people? And how do we be faithful to fan those flames? How do we help our ministry take, as, as my friend and colleague Scott Cormode says, its next faithful step? So, um, so while I'm a researcher who loves to, pin, to pinpoint correlations and uh, you know, best practices and all that, that's, that's been tougher in the pandemic, which means we have to be more prayerful, creative, probably even tolerant of failure when some of what we're gonna try doesn't work and, and some maybe does. Um, it does seem to help young people grow closer to Jesus. So I can be careless with this question. I understand that you also have to be careful maybe in, in answering it, but you know, in many regards, um, a lot of evangelical churches haven't taken this pandemic serious. In fact, yeah. some of the largest ones have been the ones that have been combating this, uh, stay at home order and certainly the mask order, you know, do you think evangelical churches response to this pandemic will affect this generation's relationship to the church? Uh, I, I fear that it will be that way. Um, young people often view the church and Jesus followers as people who are against and not for our world, different individuals, etc. We We are so often known for what we're against and not for what we're for. And so, uh, you know, I think that's a, a probing question for every leader to ask themselves is, you know, what, what, is, what are people gathering about us as a community? And are we modeling love and justice and hope? And, you know, that I, I am encouraged by how I'm seeing churches get involved, say, in the movement for greater racial justice. That's been, churches have been so important in cities nationwide, as have Jesus following young people been so important in cities nationwide. So, you know, I, I would put that definitively in the plus column for how churches are, um, how churches are being seen right now in our world. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, be a little bold here. When, when the church uh, ignores or intentionally counters scientific evidence, um, I think that means we, alienate a lot of young people. Um, and so I'm really grateful for the leaders who are paying attention to science and 
uh, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's climate, whatever it might be, and and modeling how to follow Jesus and um, and also gain from the best of what science has to offer us as a secondary source of information and revelation. You know, scripture first, absolutely. Um, and there's so much that we can learn from science also. When you released um, this new faith in an anxious world curriculum in January, were y'all staring into a crystal ball knowing what would transpire in the coming months? Well, gosh, no, um, we weren't, but I'm, I'm grateful how, for how God led us. And, and, you know, the curriculum, the Faith in an Anxious World curriculum and parent podcast, it really emerged not from a crystal ball, but from uh, more looking in the rearview mirror, so to speak that when we spent time with leaders and parents, like, you know, Andy, it didn't matter what city I was in. I could be in New York City. I could be in Pella, Iowa. I could be in Seattle. It didn't matter what city. Um, I was being asked questions about anxiety, depression, suicide. Um, And so we as a team, we just came to the point where we said, we absolutely have to do this. And uh, praise the Lord, God brought a few donors whose lives had been touched by um, close ones dying by suicide, and they wanted to invest in resources that would make a difference in families and ministries. And so um, I'm really pleased that um, we have a curriculum and podcast out to help youth leaders and parents know what's going on with their kids and how they can, how they can journey with them when they're feeling anxious. This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experience in highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context seriously. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. This is a a groundbreaking curriculum. It equips students and parents and youth ministers to talk about mental health. Um, And it seems obvious that this is needed, and yet no one has written anything like this uh, before. You know, we've all had those conversations before with our, our parents and, and grandparents. And it's, uh, you know, when I was a kid, we, we walked to school in the snow right, up, right. Uh, up three mountains with, you know, grizzly bears on the loose, but every generation thinks they have it harder than generation before them. And yet this generation is facing more pressure than ever before. Yeah. In fact, uh, Pew released a study last year that found that nearly 70% of teens believe that anxiety and depression is an issue among their peers. Yeah. So, uh, what's what's behind all this research? What's the what's the main causes behind the rise in mental health issues among teens and young adults? Yeah, and I'm glad you cited that Pew research because, as you said, that's not adults speculating about what's going on with kids. That's kids talking about what's going on with kids, um, and, and so that's super important to pay attention to. Uh, you know, in terms of the causes of anxiety, I, I'd be lying if I said we knew for sure. Um, we don't totally know for sure. There's certainly a correlation between anxiety and stress and the ubiquitous widespread uh, use of technology 
we can't ignore that when we look at the data. And let me just say, I'm pro-technology. It's technology that's letting us have this conversation today, Andy. I love, you know, I, I was texting my 14-year-old today, this morning, as she's doing online school in her room. So there's, there's so many ways that um, technology is a, a kingdom tool. And I think with young people, it creates this uh, fear of missing out, FOMO, and it constantly shows them what they're not a part of and can make them feel like everybody's life is better than theirs. So, um, you know, when I, when I was in high school, if I wasn't invited to a Friday night party, I maybe heard about it on Monday. But for kids today, when they're not invited, they see that Friday night gathering, uh, you know, unfolding in real time on their device. So, um, so technology is certainly part of it. I think kids' busyness is certainly part of it. That just creates ambient stress. Um, I think there's ways that we have parented, and I say we because I, I'm certainly part of this, that we have parented that hasn't helped and has increased stress. We've either um, put too much pressure on kids or we've helicopter parented such that we swoop in and rescue our kids before they really have to deal with challenges so they're not quite as resilient. Um, they don't quite have the grit that we wish they did. And then, you know, I think right now, the uncertainty and loneliness of the pandemic um, just adds yet one more reason. Um, and, and let me just also say lastly, that certainly, and this is so important for me to say, there are, you know, neurological, biochemical reasons also that Young people or people of any generation can deal with, can, you know, can struggle with anxiety, depression, et cetera. And so um, that's why for some young people, it's so important, for many young people, it's so important to involve a therapist, a trained professional who can help understand what's going on and why and can, um, can help come up with some interventions. The church's attitude for a long time uh, has been uh, just pray and believe more and things will get better. I mean, uh, isn't that what, you know, scripture tells us to do, but you know, what do we need to do to help churches better understand the depth and challenge of depression and anxiety, as well as how it affects individuals, especially teens? Yeah. And, and I've been guilty of passing on bad theology. I remember a talk I did, and this is so embarrassing that I did this talk, but I did a talk that anxiety is a form of atheism. And, you know, I thought it was, it was clever how there was alliteration between anxiety and atheism, that somehow if we really trusted God, then we wouldn't be anxious. Now, let me say, you know, I love Philippians 4 where Paul writes, be anxious about nothing, but in all things by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Like I love, I love that verse. And with one of our kids who can feel anxious at times, that verse has been a really, really important lifeline. So, um, so yes, trusting God certainly helps with anxiety. And yes, we need to pray and we need to be grateful. We need to be in community with others who are mindless of God's faithfulness. All that is so important in our, our biblical principles. And yet, um, there are some circumstances, there are some individuals where even with all those amazing resources, anxiety um, still is a struggle. And, and, you know, that's where I wish the church was the safest place for people to talk about their anxiety. You know, the, the church should be the safest place for us to talk about all of our struggles. And yet often it's the scariest place to talk about our struggles. 
So, you know, I'm grateful for Christian leaders and, and Christian congregants who've been upfront about their struggles with anxiety and stress, um, because that helps, that helps all of us do so. But, but there's just a lot of struggling um, followers of Jesus who don't feel like they can share it. And let me say specifically, there's a lot of struggling leaders. Um, there's a lot of struggling leaders, and I'm even including listeners here on this podcast who you're dealing with stress and anxiety. Your load feels overwhelming. Um, and, you know, I would say the same to you, that this might be a time where you need to talk to community, safe, safe, safe individuals who don't view you as pastor, but just view you as you. Um, and maybe talk to a trained professional, a counselor, a therapist, somebody who can listen and, and ask you questions and, and point you to the God who heals. So, so yeah, I want, and that's part of why we wrote this curriculum and created these parent podcasts is we want the church to be a place where we can talk about our challenges and how Jesus is bringing freedom and healing in those challenges. And that includes mental health. So uh, how do we equip parents through the church to better understand this issue and, and how to talk to their children about it? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I will, if I can just, I'll, can I give five steps, Andy? This, so this will be a slightly longer answer maybe, but. Um, you can take well, as much time as you okay, like. Okay, well, great, thank you. Well, um, you know, we, for, for this Faith in an Anxious World curriculum, we spend a lot of time with therapists, uh, a lot of time with theologians, a lot of time with young people themselves, and uh, especially the therapists. The, those are the folks we interviewed for our parent podcast series, just amazing folks who specialize in anxiety and really understand teenagers. And I did some of those interviews. I listened to all of them, and I took copious notes. And as I was looking through my own notes of all this research, I realized there's really five things that it's important for we as parents and leaders to do. So I would say, you know, leaders do this yourself, teach your volunteers to do these five things and then help your parents do these five things. These are five things for any adult who cares about kids. And they spell out A, B, C, D, E, which I I don't, it wasn't forced. It's just how it emerged from my notes. But the first thing, number one is to ask and to ask a young person this question on a scale of one to 10. 10 being most intense, how anxious are you? Scale of one to 10. Um, if a kid answers one through three, that's no big deal. Four or five, probably handleable. Six and above is when you wanna think about what additional resources or what additional people do I need to bring into this young person's life to help them work through this. But we've gotta start by asking that question, uh, whether we're a parent, step-parent, small group leader, et cetera. The B stands for breathe. This has been so interesting for me, um, I've heard my whole life how important it is to breathe in the midst of a crisis. And now I understand why, because God's given us our breath as really an automatic brake pedal that when our heart starts pounding from you know, the rush of adrenaline, our flight or fright response, that we can breathe deeply and that literally our lungs trigger our heart to slow down and that calms us down. The C is to center on a helpful phrase, a scriptural truth, a worship lyric, whatever it might be. And that'll be different things for different young people. And, you know, that's a good thing to identify ahead of time. What is it that you can remind yourself of when you're really struggling? Um, for one of our kids, it's worship lyrics. And they have different worship songs that they sing in their heads uh, when they're struggling. For other folks, um, it's, it might be a, a verse from scripture, whatever it is. 
what is it that you can center on? D is develop a team. How do you help that young person feel like they have a team? If they're going to be, if they know they tend to get anxious in physics, whether it's online or in person, you know, who is it that they can reach out to during physics? Is there somebody in the class? Is there another friend they can text? Um, who is it that they can reach out to uh, when they're struggling? And again, that might be where a, a therapist is needed. We as pastors are needed, et cetera. And then the E is to empower through empathy, empower through empathy that, you know, we want young people to feel like we are with them. We're not judging them. We're journeying with them. That's empathy. And then we empower them. And I love this phrase from Lisa Demore, a psychologist who she offers this to, to adults who care about kids. When a young person comes to you with a problem, respond with something like this, that stinks. And I think you can handle it. You know, make it your own wording. But the idea is it's two parts in that statement. Wow, that's hard. Oh my gosh, I'd be, I'd be frustrated too. Oh, I would be so stressed if I had, you know, all those AP classes that you're juggling. I would really be struggling if I was worried my parents were going to be deported. I, uh, that is really hard. Um, and I think you can handle it. I think you've got the character to handle this. Or what can I do to help you handle it? Or what do you think some options are for you to handle it? Again, the phrase can vary kid to kid and you know, we can make it our own as adults. But that A, B, C, D, E has been really helpful for me with young people. And so we're trying to get that word out broadly for leaders and parents. So for youth and college ministers listening to this, um, you know, I know certainly the dynamics of those types of ministries have been changing uh, rapidly over the last couple of years. I mean, I just I look back, it's been... Oh gosh, it's been maybe 12, 15 years since I've been a youth minister. And, you know, how I was doing youth ministry then is like, it seems like a different continent, a different, you know, uh, century from, from there. So, you know, the relationship with teenagers and their families to the church is changing so much. So, so where, where does uh, youth and college ministers fit into this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think um, I heard an interesting phrase today. Somebody else said, is uh, how do we help the congregation be a youth worker? Which, you know, again, I wouldn't stretch it fully, but, and I, you know, I don't know if it's hundred percent true, but the idea of how does a youth or a college pastor really view themselves as somebody who helps the congregation minister to young people. So yes, it's our job to minister to young people, but really the be- one of the best ways we can do that is by empowering others. So let's start with the congregation. Who are, who are those you know, few specific handful, dozen, four dozen, whatever it is, depending on your church size, adults, who you think could really mentor kids? How do you recruit them? How do you train them? How do you help them grow in their own faith? Um, so you know, I, I'd say one of our most important roles is we are bridging from congregation to young people. Um, we form that bridge. But then the other group that I'd say, and, and you know, one of my hopes out of the pandemic is that the second group becomes more involved in young people's faith. And that's parents, parents. If I could go back and redo youth ministry in my, in my early years, gosh, one of the things I would definitely do differently is I would, I would resource and train and empower parents. You know, I, I was afraid of parents. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I viewed them as, you know, chauffeurs or checkbooks who would drive kids around and pay for things. I had a lot of um, really small views of parents. And 
Uh, one of the reasons I like to partner with Orange so much is that Reggie Joyner and Kristen Ivey and that team, they understand that every parent wants to win and every church can help every parent win. Um, so, you know, I like Orange's definition of, of, of family ministry as helping parents be more connected to the faith community and more intentional at home. So how do we as, as youth and college pastors help parents be more connected to our faith community and help parents be more intentional at home? And I do see out of the pandemic, there are some families who are having better faith conversations because, of, because they're around each other more, because they're realizing they can't outsource spiritual formation to the church like they thought they could before. They never really could, but they thought they could. And so, you know, they're having five-minute family devotions or a question at every meal or they're gathering around coffee tables and and looking over scripture watching videos together or tools the church provides so um so i would say any season especially in the pandemic this is an opportunity for us to really help that congregation be a youth worker and then help parents form their kids so this new curriculum how do you see it being used by the church yeah well, it's four sessions and they, you know, they build in content. And I've just got to say one of the themes in all four sessions, uh, which look at various New Testament passages, is, is the importance of community, helping kids identify who is that safe adult I can talk to, uh, especially about what I'm going through myself, but also what I see with others. One of the things I've learned in researching suicide, Andy, is there's a lot of kids who tell a friend how badly they're doing. Other adults might not see it, but they, they courageously tell a friend and then they tell that 14 year old or 18 year old, but you can't tell anybody. And that 14 or 18 year old honors that and then you know, tragic results can ensue. And so we're trying to create uh, safe adults so that kids can talk to that adult about themselves as well as what they're seeing in their friends. But then also we have this four week parent podcast, as I mentioned, especially interviewing therapists and the themes in the four weeks of curriculum match the themes in the four parent podcast week one, week two, those weeks are correlated because the idea is we want parents learning in ways that reinforce and complement what their kids are learning. So ideally it's resources for you to do you know, by Zoom, for you to do in small groups, for you to do, it can be large group curriculum, face-to-face, uh, -face, it's really a versatile curriculum. And if you choose to, you can send parents a weekly resource, a short podcast. So they're learning uh, the same big messages your kids are. What are you hearing from those who've been using the curriculum since it came out in January? Yeah, well, I'll just tell one story. Um, this is one of the more recent stories I've heard from, uh, well, as I mentioned, um, one of the themes in the curriculum is that we want kids to have safe adults. And often we, that means telling your parents how you're doing. And one of the donors who helped fund this curriculum, um, their, their teenage son was one of those kids who said to a friend, hey, here's how badly I'm doing, but don't tell anyone. And the friend didn't. And that teenage son ended up dying by suicide. Um, and so, you know, that story just sticks in my mind, as does the research about how important it is to tell parents. And so for a lot of kids, safe adults means telling parents. And so I got an email from Jeremy, a youth leader in the East Coast, on the East Coast, a Fuller alum who um, had two kids come up to him after one of his week sessions saying, hey, will you go with me? 
and talk to me as I talk to my parents. Will you help me talk to my parents? And so, you know, that that's what this is all about. If kids are talking more to parents, talking more to pastors, talking more to mentors, uh, maybe therapists and experiencing the freedom and the healing, the full life that Jesus talks about in John 10, then um, that's what it means to have faith in an anxious world. So kind of wrapping up our time together, uh, what does Fuller Youth Institute have in the works that we need to be looking out for? Oh, great question. Well, um, Brad Griffin and I just turned in a book to Baker Books as our publisher that'll be coming out in August based on some research that we're doing about young people's three biggest questions. In fact, that's the book title is three big questions that change every teenager. And those are the three questions of identity, belonging, and purpose, which really have been themes of this podcast, Andy. Uh, you know, who young people think they are, how they connect with others, and how they change our world. And so Brad and I and the team at FYI, we studied kids nationwide, how they are currently answering those three big questions of identity, belonging, and purpose, as well as what it means to have a Jesus-centered answer to those questions. What are the Jesus-centered answers that kids need today? And then how do we have conversations and connections? Those are two, two things that we offer in the book. For families and, and churches, uh, what any leader or parent can do to really help kids more fully embrace Jesus's answers to their questions of identity, belonging, purpose. So you'll be hearing more about that in uh, 2021. Okay. All right. So we'll have you back on the podcast in 2021. I'd love it. That'd be great. Excellent. Okay. All right. We'll hold you to that. Okay. Uh, it's, it's recorded. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. It's official. It's out there. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to stay connected with Kara, check out our work at fulleryouthinstitute.org. Uh, follow her on Twitter at kpowfyi. Of course, you can purchase Faith in an Anxious World curriculum at FYI's website. Uh, Kara, I guess first, thank you for not giving up after losing that high school student body president election. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, luckily I was young enough and resilient enough. And again, I had this youth pastor who said to me, someday God's going to call you to youth ministry. And he, he had a vision for me that I didn't have. And so you just never know how those words can unleash something in a young person. As we, as we have an imagination for them, they don't yet have for themselves. So. Well, on a serious note, uh, thank you for uh, for bringing continually relevant, innovative, and profound wisdom and resources for those that care for, minister to, and parent teens and young adults. My pleasure and honor, and thank you and, and CBF for all you're doing for all generations to really help the church uh, be all who God intends us to be. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in.